Hey everybody, welcome to a special emergency edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It is the coaching hire edition. This is the uh, second one we've done of these in, in a year. Uh, I'm Dan Lobby and I'm going to be joined here via the phone by Mary Kay Cabot and Ellis Williams. Mary Kay, how are you? Oh, I'm exhausted, Dan, but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad it's finally over and it seems like the process went pretty well for them. So uh, I'm glad they reached their conclusion. And Ellis, welcome to Brown's Coaching Surges. How are you? Oh, man, it's been a wild weekend, but I'm excited to chat with this with you guys. Okay, so let's get right to it. The Browns uh, chose Kevin Stefanski. Uh, They're going to hire him as their head coach. Uh, He will be the next head coach of this team, replacing Freddie Kitchens, who, of course, replaced Hugh Jackson. Uh, Freddie, a one and done. Uh, We're going to get some insider questions here a little bit later, but let's just kind of get into sort of everything that's happened since January 2nd, when Jimmy Haslam stood up at uh, at the podium in the Browns media room uh, talked about alignment, talked about what he was hoping to get out of this process. And Mary Kay, we'll start with you. It felt to me like that day, uh, this thing was very much barreling towards Kevin Stefanski. It's been a long process since, but it really felt like when we found out Paul D. Podesta was going to be leading things, Kevin Stefanski was going to be a real candidate and maybe uh, at that time, the front runner. Yeah, I think so. I think all along we've been trying to steer it and guide it that way. Right after Freddie was hired that same day, uh, I wrote that they wanted to bring Andrew Barry back to the organization uh, and that Jimmy really wanted to bring him back, which that is under consideration right now. He is a candidate to come back and do that. Uh, and then last week I, I wrote that column about alignment, about how Paul De Podesta, Kevin Stefanski, and Andrew Barry would represent the kind of alignment that Jimmy Haslam is working is working towards. Now, I will say there there are some issues with it, in my opinion, uh, that that I think that you know that we need to cover. But Jimmy feels like this time this is the way that he will not have one person on this side of his ear, you know, yelling at him about one thing, and somebody over there yelling at him about another thing. And it's been like that. There's been a lot of internal discord. So I think that they wanted to bring everybody under the heading, uh, but we'll get into this a little bit more as we go through. But, uh, you know, I just I don't want them to swing the pendulum too far back to the analytics side. I think they really need to be very careful of that. Uh, so, Ellis, your kind of impressions of this going back to, to when Jimmy talked to where we are today, just sort of uh, sort of this process. Obviously, you weren't around last year when, when Kevin Stefanski was kind of the other name with Freddie Kitchen. Right. So- so you've got a little bit of a different perspective, I think, as, as this process has played out a little bit, too. Yeah, it, it's been interesting. You know, um, I think, as Mary Kay was saying, the alignment is is key and that the fact that they found a guy who they were really impressed with last year, who now can help build that alignment. And from a football standpoint, Stefanski makes a lot of sense. I know it sounds a lot like with what people are saying with kitchens. You know, you bring in a guy because of a scheme. And the Browns are looking for a guy who can lead um, from everything I've heard. And even the reports of him doing well in his interview last year, it sounds like he has those type of skills. Um, you know, there were reports out of Minneapolis that Vikings players saying if Stefanski were to get a head job, it'd be a, a home run hire. So, you know, his guys believe in him um, on the field. You know, the Vikings were an impressive offense this season, running a lot of Zone schemes, outside zone, getting Dalvin Cook on the outside, uh, getting run defenses and matchup set when they're in, in soft spots. And it allowed Kirk Cousins to use a lot of play action and take advantage of softer coverages deep. Uh, Stephon Diggs had like 42% of the Vikings uh, air yards, third in the league behind, I believe it was like Michael Thomas and Corlin Sutton. So you think Odell Beckham stretching the field like that makes sense football-wise. Uh, you know, is he a head coach? You know, this is his first shot, obviously, so that needs to play out. But schematically and his reputation in the Minnesota area, I think both check out for this hire. Yeah, so th- so that's really the big question here, right? We know about the scheme, and, and we'll get into some more of that. But, uh, Mary Kay, the real question here with Kevin Stefanski is, is was the case with Freddie Kitchens and uh, Hugh Jackson and Rob Chudzinski and any other name that's come through here is can they handle – the head coaching side of it because this is a big job uh this is a team that is covered uh, like crazy there's a million people it feels like to cover this team sometimes uh there's this is a tough job and it's so much more than just uh, you know being willing to run some 
you know, 21 personnel every now and again and, and pass out a heavier set. So obviously those are strengths. That's why you like him with Baker Mayfield, which again, we'll get into, but there, there's a lot more to this job too. And, and that's what we don't know about Stefanski. Yeah, there, there really is a lot more to this job. And uh, I, I said this yesterday, I haven't used this line yet in print, but I, I will. And I'm going to coin this phrase, but uh, they looked at Kevin Stefanski through their Ivy cover colored glasses uh, he is Ivy League, just like those guys are. Andrew Barry, Paul D. Podesta. If those three end up in the building together, uh, this is an Ivy League trio. They are super, super smart people. And I think that's one of the things, or that was is probably maybe the main thing that they loved about Kevin Stefanski is that he will be able to embrace, synthesize, and utilize all the data that they are going to be providing him with. This organization is heading towards a very analytics-driven approach in coaching and personnel decisions. And again, we will get into that a little bit more. I hope they make sure that they have some uh, really good football eyes evaluating players as well. But that's probably the number one thing that they really liked about him. Uh, As far as just handling the job overall, uh, again, we'll have to see. I mean, it's different. The demands of this job are vastly different than meeting with the media as offensive coordinator once a week, which he only had to do for, you know, 19 games or something like that, 20 games. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a whole different world when you're sitting in the head chair. Now, the good thing that the Vikings did with him and that I think the Browns are absolutely 100% going to need to do with him is to supply him with a veteran senior offensive presence. They did that with him with Gary Kubiak. And Gary Kubiak, who won a Super Bowl as head coach of the Broncos, longtime uh, West Coast offense, you know, from the, you know, from that whole Andy Reid tree, uh, went in there and and really kind of did the same thing for, um, for Kevin Stefanski that Brad Childress, another one of Kevin Stefanski's, his biggest mentor, actually, uh, has done in Chicago with Matt Nagy. These guys have been their senior advisor, their right-hand man, and they they have stood by them, and they have not let these guys fail. And that's what the Browns are going to need to do. If they can bring in Gary Kubiak, I think that would be fantastic. If they can't do that, maybe they should think about bringing in Brad Childress as offensive coordinator. You know, bring in one of those two guys and make them OC if, if you need to do, to make a to give them a promotion, you know, go ahead and try to do that. I would think either one of those guys would be willing to do that, especially probably Brad Childress, because he's the one that actually first hired Kevin Stefanski when he was right out of Penn, when he was right out of college. So that is vitally, vitally important. That is one thing that the Cleveland Browns did not do with Freddie Kitchens. I mean, when you think about it, that was a colossal screw up on their part. They hired Freddie to handle a head coaching job, an offensive coordinator, a play calling job, and a roster full of really strong-willed and difficult personalities. And they didn't give him that senior offensive assistant. They did not do that. I mean, they hired Todd Munkin as OC, but he was basically, obviously we know it didn't work out. There was a disconnect between those two and that that just, it was a non-factor. They should have given Freddie an Al Saunders type guy or somebody like that that could have helped him. And I hope they do that with Kevin Stefanski. And, and that's something we'll uh, we'll certainly uh, get into a little bit later because I'm looking looking at our insider questions and there are people who who want to know about that stuff. So, uh, you know, we're certainly going to circle back on that um, af- after the break uh, later when we when we get to our insider questions. That has been uh, a, a big concern for fans. But what I want to do is kind of take a step back and get each of your uh, each each of your impressions on this process. Um, so my kind of immediate reaction column was, you know, essentially we don't know. Nobody out there knows what kind of head coach Kevin Stefanski is going to be, right? Nobody knew what kind of head coach Josh McDaniels was going to be. You know, we just, we don't know how these guys, these coordinators, are going to handle. And obviously McDaniels has done it before, and, and he failed in Denver. But the process. Let, let's talk about this process. I felt like at least this time, it felt like the Browns put a process in place and trusted it. Now, if it works in the end, you know, I don't know for sure. We'll find out in a couple of years. 
but I thought the process was a little more sound than it's been in the past. So, uh, you know, Ellis, kind of what was your impression of the process here? Yeah, and to that point, you know, with this being my my first go around with this with this coaching search, um, it it seemed it seemed healthy, it seemed uh, thorough, uh, thought out. You know, with them taking their time, and it almost, and I think Dan, you you tweeted or wrote about this about um, you know they almost didn't have a choice but to take their time with how quickly some of those jobs uh, filled up. Really, all the jobs filled up. You know, uh, New York and Washington, so to speak, and that played in the Browns' favor and really allowed them to do their due diligence. And also, I, it, I think it helped that they had Stefanski in the building for an interview last year. So it's almost in a way, this is two years in the making, if you will. Um, and it, they had, you know, two years to kind of think, well, it's not that they were thinking about replacing Freddie while he was there. That's not what I'm, what I'm trying to say. It's just more that it seems like this has been thought out thorough and based off what I've read about Cleveland hires in the past, it seemed the Haslam's sometimes acted out of emotion um, and no decisions, especially at the highest level are made with emotion tend to pan out. You know, you, you need to take a step back and let things breathe. And whether it was just because of the way things played out or purposely or both, the Browns allowed themselves that time. And this feels like a calculated decision rather than something impulsive or, or gut reactionary as I feel the Browns have done in the past. You know what? Let me Mary Kay, well, go, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, um, I mean, I agree to, to a certain extent, but we talked about this in our podcast while the process was going on the last time we got together. I mentioned that I was a bit concerned that there was not someone on the search committee who had ever basically, you know, run a football team right. from, you know, yep. from the right from the football side for, for a while, or who had been involved with the hiring of a head coach or or the, you know, I, I just was uncomfortable about that part of it. Yep. And Great. I'm still a little concerned about that part of it. Let's look at the search committee. I mean, it was uh, your you know, money ball guy in Paul D. Podesta. Now he has been with the football team for four years now. Uh, but he still mostly is, you know, from the baseball side. Uh, and then you've got the, you know, the cap specialist in Chris Cooper. You've got Jimmy Haslam. You've got J.W. Johnson. Those were the principal figures on the search committee. I just wish, as I had said in that previous podcast, that they would have had someone on that search committee that has been a little bit more closely involved with running a football team or coaching a football team. Right, Mary Kay. Yeah, look, this is. Go ahead, Ellis. Yeah, Mary Kay. Can I just can I ask you quick? Um, the committee as is. Do you think that they are you happy with the, the timetable, or do you think they should have named someone earlier, or you know, just with how it played out? Do you think the timetable made sense? Are you comfortable with that? I'm totally comfortable with with the timetable, okay. and you know, we all everyone. Browns fans and the team and everyone might end up being ecstatic with with the results. Sure. But I just I just kind of think that you need someone in there to play devil's advocate and yep. say, but yeah, what about this and what about that and what about when this happens? And uh, I I just think that there there was an element that was missing. And my my concern right now about where the Browns are going with everything is uh, I think like I said before I think the pendulum is shifting a little too far back towards the whole analytics piece. And I think they have to be careful of that. Now, if they hire uh, Andrew or, or, you know, George Payton or whoever they're, they're going to hire as the GM, they have to make sure that they have a very, very strong personnel scouting staff that has very experienced talent evaluators in it. That's vitally important. If they do that, then I will have less of a concern about this. And when I, when I talk about this, you know, football versus analytics, big debate, here's what I'm trying to say. You have to find the balance and a good marriage between the two of those things. And that means if you're going to hire Paul DePodesta as your chief strategy officer, then the, then the GM that you first hire after that should not be a guy that comes in and says, I'm 85% football and only 15% analytics. That, to me, is not alignment, and I knew that that was not going to work out. 
there doesn't it doesn't ever have to be football versus analytics. You just need to find football people that are analytics friendly and can handle that type of approach. So and the reason why I'm concerned about this is because the analytics, the the Sashi Brown group, Sashi Brown built a roster that went one in 31. And I think they have to be really, really careful of going too far down that road again, where you're picking the Cody Kesslers based on all of these numbers. And from a football standpoint, it just doesn't make sense. The numbers tell you that he's going to be amazing, but the truth of the matter is it's not going to happen. So I just want them to be careful about relying too much on the numbers and not enough on the eyes. And I, I think the thing that, that really we need to keep in mind is this is this is ultimately going to be the um, you know, how, how we judge Paul de Podesta in the long run. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's sort of this has sort of been a long game for uh, for de Podesta. He came on with, with Sashi Brown in 2016. Uh, you know, he was the one lobbying for for Sean McDermott that year. He, he wanted Kevin Stefanski last year. Well, he got his guy now. He was running the coaching search now. He's. He's the guy that's putting this all together. And, uh, you know, if this falls apart, if this doesn't work, that, that's probably going to be it for Paul D. Podesta, too. So this is, this is kind of his moment. You know, he wants to make that transition from, you know, baseball to football and, and kind of bring, his, bring what he did in baseball to the football world. You know, this is his moment to prove it can work. Or if, if it doesn't work, then he's probably going to be looking for a job elsewhere and probably not in football. Yeah, you're exactly right, Dan. You're exactly right. Because look what happened to John Dorsey uh, when when he made the hire of Freddie Kitchens, which proved to be his downfall. I think he was actually doing a pretty good job of stocking the roster with some good football players. I think for the most part, uh, he really overhauled the roster and, and did a nice job that way. But then he went and made the egregious error of hiring Freddie Kitchens, which I still can't believe they did that. And the more it, it is in my rearview mirror, the more I can't believe that they could sit Freddie Kitchens and Kevin Stefanski down as two finalists and say, hey, let's let's go with Freddie. I mean, like, That's like not what, were, <laughs> what were they thinking? But um, but obviously, like you said, that that proved to be John Dorsey's downfall. And yes, Paul De Podesta will be tied to this hire. His name is all over it. His his fingerprints are all over this one. And it better work, but there are ways to make it work. And those ways include giving him really good players to work with and surrounding him or having him surround himself with a very quality staff. And, and this is sort of the, the, this is the upside here, right? This is a guy that, uh, you know, unlike Freddie Kitchens, who I, I don't think anyone really ever felt was like, kind of being groomed to one day step in and be a head coach on maybe Freddie thought he was or, or something like that. You know, Brown's kind of just stumbled across him. Kevin Stefanski has kind of been on this path for a little while. You know, obviously he was a candidate last year. He was a candidate again this year. Uh, this has sort of been building. And the reality is this roster was ready to win last year and it's still going to be ready to win this year, even if they make changes. Uh, you know, this roster is going to be ready to win. So that's, that's good and bad if you're a new head coach. <laughs> you know, there's not as much room yeah. for error. But at the same time, I, I think a number of us, you know, I know I did. I, I think you guys probably did too. Looked at this roster and said, "Look, with better coaching, this team comes pretty close to getting a wild card if they don't just outright get a wild card." They obviously weren't going to contend in the North with the way the Ravens played this year. Uh, but this was probably a playoff team with better coaching or really close to it. And, and that's kind of the hope I think. Uh, with, with this hire yeah that, that's that's how it feels because with the roster in place as i said when we started there's you there's players in place that could make this transition pretty smooth for stefanski assuming uh the gary kubiak zone scheme and heavy play action style uh stefanski brings with him which i'm assuming he will it's what had the vikings so successful this season you know you think of a First of all, Dalvin Cook uh, at a great year rush, I think 13 touchdowns, 1,100 yards. 
now you're going to have Nick Chubb, and if they bring back Kareem Hunt, two guys in the backfield that can do everything Delvin Cook can and more. You know, the Vikings featured uh, fullback often in, in uh, C.J. Ham, and now that fullback can be a guy like Kareem Hunt or Nick Chubb. It, it completely changes the game. And then on the perimeter in Minnesota, you have Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, two of the game's better route runners, sure-handed guys. Though their volume was down, their yards are up. Like I said, they're Stephon Diggs air yards because they're taking advantage of play action. So you can see a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. transitioning into the Stephon Diggs role, getting behind def- getting behind defenses, stretching the field. And then a guy like Adam Thielen, kind of your, your do-it-all guy, still very capable of big plays, of course, molds well with the skill set of Jarvis Landry, a guy you can lean on and in timing routes. And, you know, I know that those two are more freelancers in their route running, as we've talked about, than Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. But it's going to take Jarvis to hone in and be that type of Adam Thielen guy. And you, so you see the, the, the pieces in place for a smooth transition here. But it goes back to the type of head coach he'll need to be in order to get guys like Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry to buy in to these philosophies and these timing routes. And that's, of course, where Freddie, among many other areas, fell short. That's what we don't know yet, and that's what's still up in the air. Well, I think one of the, um, one of the big things to look at here is the fact that uh, Kevin Stefanski, and I just wrote a post uh, having to do with this, uh, it really came down to Kevin Stefanski and Robert Sala, the 49ers defensive coordinator. Uh, one of the big reasons that Kevin Stefanski got the job over him was his work with quarterbacks. The Browns need to rehabilitate Baker Mayfield and get him back on track. Kevin Stefanski did uh, a very, very nice job with Case Keenum when he was quarterback's coach in 2017, and then with Kirk Cousins in 2018 as quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator the last three games, and then OC this year. And that had a lot to do with the reason that he got the job. They are hoping that with his system, which again, focuses a lot on the run, a lot on play action, uh, is going to really help get Baker Mayfield back on track. He obviously tumbled to second last in the NFL with a 78.8 rating, second last in the NFL in uh, completion percentage. And with the talent that he has around him, especially with the running game, there is no way that he should have had those kinds of numbers. You look at Kirk Cousins this year, he was fourth with a 107.4 rating. He was fourth in completion percentage at 69 or something like that. And uh, he threw, I think, 26 touchdowns, six interceptions. So it's a very, very quarterback-friendly offense. It's an offense right now that's in vogue in the NFL. Uh, It's basically what Kyle Shanahan runs. Uh, You know, it's just, you know, from the Andy Reid, Brad Childress, Shanahan, west coast offense family and and that's what you know that's what this is going to be and uh and that's a big big key factor for kevin stefanski is to get baker mayfield back on track so they can find out this year if he is the guy but it's a quarterback friendly offense i think he will fare well in it Okay, so we're going to take a break and we're going to have more about that quarterback stuff uh, because we had some insider questions about that. So we're going to come back and we're going to take those insider questions uh, right after our break. Okay, welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the coaching search edition. I'm Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. And Ellis Williams, let's take a second real quick to talk about Football Insider, because if you are a Football Insider subscriber, you've gotten uh, a few texts today from us, including when the news first broke that Kevin Stefanski was going to be hired as the head coach. Uh, We also put a post up on the website with your comments that that you sent in as as reaction uh, to uh, what Stefanski to Stefanski's hire. Uh, and of course, we have a call out for questions as well that we're going to get to. So check out cleveland.com slash Browns. If you're listening to this and you're not an insider, go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click on the banner at the top of the page. It's $3.99 a month, but you get a two week free trial. So this is a great time to, to jump in, uh, see if it's something you want to stick with. Uh, check that out. So uh, before the break, Mary Kay, you were talking about uh, 
quarterback play. And so I want to get to um, some of the questions that came in uh, from our insiders when I, uh, when, I, when I put it out there. One of the questions had to do uh, with Baker Mayfield. How, how is Kevin Stefanski going to help Baker Mayfield get better? How does this uh, impact Baker Mayfield? And Ellis, I know you've got some numbers for us. Yeah, so as Mary Kay said earlier in the podcast, it's I, I, I agree with her. It's vital that the Browns seriously consider bringing in uh, an advisor like Gary Kubiak, who Stefanski has in Minnesota, or Brad Tiller, something like that, um, you know, to maximize what Stefanski's been able to do. But over his time in Minnesota, the Vikings have had some pretty successful offenses. We'll start in 2009. Uh, these are DVOA stats from Football Insider. Uh, the Vikings had the eighth-best offense, uh, 12% better than the average offense. They went 12-4 and four that year, um, and Brett Favre was the quarterback. All right, So you're, you're, we're talking about a Hall of Fame guy. Everyone remembers that Vikings run, losing to the Saints in the NFC Championship. Okay, but where it gets impressive, um, this 2015 to now 2019-2020 stretch, in 2015, the Vikings go 11-5. and five. Um, You know, 16th-best offense, so, you know, an, an average offense. Literally, they had a, a 0% uh, DVOA, so a, a, an average NFL offense. Teddy Bridgewater is the quarterback there. But then in 2017, uh, the weird season for the Vikings, Bridgewater has that freak injury. Uh, then Sam Bradford gets hurt, and now the Vikings are dealing with their third-string quarterback, who's Case Keenum. And the Vikings go on and have an, an impressive season, totaling the fifth-best offense, according to DVOA, uh, 12% better. So the, the same they had the same success with Brett Favre uh, with, as they did with Case Keenum, if you, you know, in a vacuum, if you want to spin it that way. Uh, and then this season, 2019, going 10 and 6, uh, they had the 10th tenth, tenth best offense, 4.6% better than the average offense, of course, with Kirk Cousins. So, what's impressive with Stefanski and those numbers is though he's been with only one team his entire coaching career, he's really seen a revolving door of quarterbacks. You know, Minnesota has a, a history of, you know, signing the veterans and not drafting well at the position. And he's been able to get success out of a whole mixed bag of quarterbacks from the, the hall of famer and Brett Favre to a third stringer in case Keenum who goes and gets a huge payday, a book deal, and then ends up still being a backup quarterback when it's all said and done. So I think that has to bode well for the future of Baker Mayfield. You have a guy now who's proven to not only have success with the quarterbacks, but has bred success been around it, um, you know, working with Brett Favre, so you have to at least you think you have to give him the benefit of the doubt here that he's had success with quarterbacks in the past. Now we can get into some stuff later about, you know, Baker Mayfield under center and shotgun and the type of concepts that may or may not translate with him. That's stuff they're going to have to figure out in-house on what the on-field product will be. But just looking at his success with these offenses in the past and specifically the quarterbacks, I think it bodes well for Baker Mayfield and his future as a quarterback in Cleveland. Yeah, I, I think that, that Baker's going to have the coaching and the guidance that he so sorely missed and lacked last year. He craves it. He needs it. He wants it. Uh, he's going to get it. These guys know what to do with quarterbacks. They know how to make them look good. I mean, think of what, you know, just, you know, Kyle Shanahan was able to do here, you know, with Brian Hoyer, what he's done with Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, what Kevin Stefanski, again, did with, with Keenum, with Kirk Cousins. It just, it is it's just a, a really great way uh, to bring out and maximize the potential of a quarterback. And so I think the best is yet to come for Baker Mayfield. And there are some really good PFF stats on uh, play action, which I don't have that in front of me right now, but uh, Baker out of play action. Dan, I think, you know, the stats I'm talking about too, and you probably do too. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. You should, it's funny. You should bring that up because I'm looking at those stats right now. There we oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see here. So, uh, Kirk Cousins, 31.4% uh, of his dropbacks were in play action, which is higher than what Baker Mayfield was in. Baker Mayfield was in 28.7% of his dropbacks. Uh, his completion percentage, Baker's completion percentage with play action, 66.5% and a 102.5 rating. His completion percentage without play action, 56.4% and a 68.8 rating. So all evidence points to Baker Mayfield being better out of play action like a lot of quarterbacks, but significantly better. That's the highest completion percentage difference uh, among anyone with any number, with any significant number of attempts, uh, that 10.1% that difference. 
so the play action, uh, the heavier personnel that Minnesota uses, uh, rollouts, all of those things favor Baker Mayfield. Now, Baker's got to go make it happen, and he's got to be better than he was this past season. Uh, but a lot of what Kevin Stefanski did with Minnesota uh, certainly would certainly favors what Baker Mayfield can do. And this is where, where some of that analytics comes in, because I can assure you that Freddie Kitchens was being presented with those statistics on a weekly basis. In fact, uh, it's my understanding that on Mondays they had to meet with the analytics people and they would go over those sorts of things. And he resisted that sort of input, despite the fact that it was as plain as the nose on his face uh, that Baker operating out of play action in those kinds of situations was faring much better. Uh, it just wasn't happening enough. So uh, that that's over. Those days are over and there aren't going to be those battles anymore between uh, between the analytics people coming in with uh, just reams and reams of data and it being sort of rejected. That That's not going to happen anymore. And Kevin Stefanski, again, uh, with his pen education, he can, like we have said in our other podcasts, he can hang with the Harvards. So when these guys present him with complicated and very detailed statistics and, and data and analytics on, on what's going to work in certain situations, uh, that will be accepted, embraced, and utilized. These things will be used in game, before games, after games. They'll be utilized in the draft and everything else. And now everyone's going to be speaking the same language. Okay. Okay. So now, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about what he can do offensively um, or what he did offensively for Kirk Cousins. Now, the obvious question, and it came up from a number of our subtexters. I'm, I'm looking through this list of questions, and I've seen at least three or four people um, ask this. It's about call, play calling. So I'll just, uh, I'll just do this one from the 419 area code. We'll, we'll give this person credit. Uh, we talked about them maybe hiring an offensive coordinator. That was part of the question. But the second question is, will Kevin Stefanski call his own plays? We, we don't know specifically the answer to that yet. I'm sure we'll get it pretty quickly when, once we get a chance to have a press conference and, and meet him. But uh, let, let's go this way with it. Mary Kay, we'll start with you. Are you comfortable if Kevin Stefanski sits up there and, and says, yes, I'm calling my own plays this year? I would be comfortable with it if they have a senior offensive advisor helping him along the way. If he's got somebody in the headset and not three or four different voices like Freddie Kitchens did, because that were what is what was going on with Freddie. He had a number of people in his headset and he would just listen to the wind. I mean, he whatever was coming his way, he'd be like, OK, sure, let's try that. That's not how it's going to be. But if he has a Brad Childress or a Gary Kubiak or maybe Clint Kubiak will come with him, I don't know who that person is going to be just yet because I don't know if you can get a Gary Kubiak to come here with you. Uh, but if he has a person like that collaborating with him, showing him the way, mentoring him and helping him so that it's not all on him, then I would be fine with that uh, because, you know, he did a nice job with it this year. And if that's what he really would like to do, I'm not opposed to it. I would also not be opposed to someone that is very accomplished at that task also doing it. So however they want to do it, they just have to have somebody involved that's really great at it. Yeah, I agree with Mary Kay there. And additionally, the reason I'd say Stefanski, I'm comfortable with him calling the plays, watching the Vikings this year, and then comparing them to the Browns, you could tell Stefanski had a feel not only for how to put his players in advantageous situations and, you know, pop some big plays, but he had a, a rhythm to game calling. He understood when certain things needed to be dialed up. Now, his trick play success isn't the best and probably something I'll write about later, but he had his timing was correct. He was he understood how to call a complete game. He wasn't just calling plays sometimes you watch you watching the browns you, you you felt like okay what's going on here and then oh that's a nice little gadget play and then it's back to the same oddness you know freddie it, it never really fit together where Stefanski has uh it seems a complete understanding and control of an entire game plan so that's where i would become i would be comfortable in comparing it to the on-field product in Minnesota, you know, the, the stats are one thing, but when you, you, you have the on-field product and the eye test, it felt like 
the Minnesota offense just seemed to have a good pace to it and a feel and the timing for his his shot plays and what they were doing in the red zone seemed to fit together nicely compared to what just happened in Cleveland. And I think from a clock management standpoint, I mean, he's so smart that, I mean, he's just going to be able to manage and handle all of that. Now, some of that is driven by analytics and those things will be predetermined, but there will be a lot of decisions that he's going to have to make on the football field uh, in the heat of the moment. And he is so smart and so, so good uh, that I think he's going to be able to handle those things and we're not going to see meltdowns like we saw at the end yeah. of the first half against the Ravens. I mean, that stuff just isn't going to happen. The boneheaded things will not be happening. Couldn't agree more. Okay, from the uh, 408 area code, uh, of course, some staff questions here. Um, and the question is, will they likely keep any existing coaches? And this person specifically shouts out Mike Prefer, the special teams coach. Uh, I, I would imagine that um, the, the Haslam's and would love to keep Mike Prefer around. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what Stefanski wants to do. But Mary Kay, what, what's your sense right now as to what this team will do with their with their assistant coaches? Well, Prefer is going to stay, and I put that up recently in just a little news and notes, search insider news and notes. Prefer is going to stay. He spent, uh, I can't remember how many years, but it was a significant amount of years. I can't remember if it was six or whatever, in Minnesota with Stefanski. So they know each other very well. They've worked well together. And and Mike Prefer did a nice job with the Brown special teams last year under some trying circumstances, a lot of injuries, a lot of turnover. Uh, but he did a nice job there. So they improved significantly uh, up to, you know, somewhere like 12 or 13 in special teams rankings from the low 20s or something like that. So he will stick around. As far as Steve Wilkes is concerned, uh, you know, I think most people would think that he is automatically out the door. But one thing to note is that he was set to be Kevin Stefanski's, I've come to find out, defensive coordinator in Cleveland last year if Kevin Stefanski were to take the job. He would have also been here as defensive coordinator. So they do have that connection. Now, does the fact that um, that Steve Wilkes struggled this year with that defense, you know, how much has that hurt him? How much uh, do they want to turn things over? It, it's hard to say, but I think that Steve Wilkes does deserve some consideration based on the fact that he was without his two starting cornerbacks for the early first four, uh, four games of the season, starting in whatever, week two or three, uh, had to do without his two starting corners for four weeks. And then, of course, the Miles Garrett suspension happened. And I just think that uh, that really took the wind out of the sails of the defense. Couple that with Olivier Vernon missing the whole second half of the season with a knee injury. And, you know, I mean, if you look at any of these playoffs or a lot of these games that got people into the playoffs, you're looking at, you know, the J.J. Watts and, you know, some of these great the, the, the Jadavian Clownies and some of these guys. I mean, these guys took over games, made made huge impacts. And the Browns were without their two starting defensive ends. They were fielding guys that we never even heard of, right? We were uh, we, we were like, oh, who's that? You know, Porter Gustin's in the game, you know, just uh, met the guy last week for the first time. So, uh, you know, he had a lot that he had to deal with, a lot of adversity for Steve Wilkes. And I, I think that he, I would like to see what he could do with a full complement on this defense. As far as Todd Munkin is concerned, he's going to be gone. Uh, I, I just don't really see that happening. Uh, he'll he'll probably he may end up going back to college or something like that for now, unless you know unless somebody in the NFL calls upon him. But you know that was part of uh, an offense that just things didn't go well at all, and I, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, retaining Prefer makes sense. He survived uh, two coaching changes in Minnesota, I, I believe, with uh, Leslie Frazier, and then Zimmer retained him also. Uh, it makes sense. The Browns special teams were successful, you know, this season and Prefer's got a great reputation in the league. As for Wilkes, Mary Kay, I, I agree with that also. Um, you know, the Browns defense, it, it not like it was lights out, but I remember the defense really felt like it was keeping the team in games a lot of, a lot early. And then, as you said, the Miles Garrett suspension really was really the tipping point of the season now that we've had some time to look back on it. Um, so, should Wills get the, the benefit of the doubt in that situation, you know, almost playing with one hand or coaching with one hand tied behind his back? Probably. I, I can't 
get the Bengals game out of my mind, though. You know, that like, when they had 10 men on the field, that's just – is that more Freddie? Is that Wilkes? It's, it's, it's probably both, but that's just a – that just can't happen. You know, maybe the team was checked out and just – you know, maybe that's just when you delete the tape, if you will, type game. But – I, I I tend to agree that I, I would like to see Wilkes get another shot and see what the defense could be with another full year, you know, assuming health, assuming Miles Garrett return. I, I think that that makes sense. Uh, I but I you know I could see them going another way too. And as you said with Munkin, nothing really to add there. You, when they were going to go with an offensive guy, you, you kind of knew that was the end of Munkin anyway. You have to wonder if that ten men, you know, when you've got all these new guys that are just showing up and just getting promoted from the practice squad the week before or just being added to the roster. I think sometimes some of those uh, uh, transitions don't go well. But uh, again, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if if Kevin Stefanski goes in another direction. But I I also uh, think that he'll at least have a conversation with Steve Wilkes. Okay, another question here, and this comes with any regime changes from the 216 area code. Uh, We touched on this a little bit. Uh, but this person is is saying uh, this team is a few pieces away from contention. Do you see a win now approach or a teardown? Uh, I think we can all probably agree that we're not going to see a, a gigantic roster teardown coming. Uh, there could certainly be some changes, but uh, you know, to me, it just really feels like this whole Freddie Kitchens thing in the six and ten season uh, was sort of a one year detour from from where this team wants to be. It, it sounded like Jimmy Haslam really likes the talent on this roster, and, and we mentioned it before. Whoever took this job was going to have to love most of the talent on this roster. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be changes. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be some guys like go that maybe don't fit with what Stefanski and, and the new GM, if it's Andrew Barry or somebody else really want to do. Uh, but, but this team is going to be trying to win in, in 2020. Is, is that fair to say? Absolutely fair to say. And I think one of the first things that they will probably have to take a look at is, uh, you know, what's, what's going to happen with Odell Beckham Jr. They do have to make sure that you know that they that he wants to be here that that they want him here that they're willing to pay him the kind of money that he wants what if he wants a restructure uh so i i think that uh that's a conversation that now when the new people get in place and the new gm is hired they're all going to have to put their heads together and make sure that this can work because the last thing anyone needs on this team is an unhappy odell beckham jr and an unhappy jarvis landry they have to find out do these guys definitely want to be together somewhere? Are they happy together here? Can they make this work here? Uh, and, you know, can Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. work well together? Are these guys going to need surgeries? I mean, there's just a lot to go over with those two. So I think offensively, it kind of starts there. Do they start over at receiver or do they go with what they have? They've got, I mean, those two salaries together are, it's a lot of money. I, I can't remember what it is right now off the top of my head, but it's, you know, in the, Odell's like 14 million something and Jarvis is right up there too. So I think they have to, um, I think they have to make a decision there if that's their future at wide receiver um, or is it not? And, um, but I think there is enough talent on this football team to win right away. And I think that will be the focus. Yeah, Dan, I I agree. It's it's win now 2020. Um, with Mary Kay touching on the Odell and receiver stuff, I'll I'll touch on Baker Mayfield. You know, it, it, it might be a little uncomfortable to really even speculate, um, but this is now becoming make or break time for, for Baker Mayfield. You know, we're going into year three. They're loaded with offensive talent as far as skilled position players. You have to assume they'll address the offensive line issues in the draft, free agency, something's going to change there. Um, and now you're giving them a coach with a history of, with successful offenses and quarterbacks. Um, these first eight games next year for Baker Mayfield, and obviously the season in whole is going to be, it, it's really going to be his career in a sense, because, you know, you, you'll be in the league as a backup, I'm sure, if things go south, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. But, you know, the Browns are putting everything in place, and there won't be any more excuses. Uh, I think Baker's in a position to succeed, but a lot of this falls on Baker Mayfield now. So, yes, are the Browns set up to win in 2020? They sure are. But things can change very quickly in the NFL, as you two both very well know, that if all of a sudden Baker's not the guy going forward, it sounds even weird to say aloud, but I think we have to entertain it. Um, things could change uh, very quickly, considering all the pieces that are in place and the, the additions they'll likely make. Yeah, 
three is a, is a big year for Baker. Like you said, uh, you know, after your third year, look, look, there was a story today about the two quarterbacks who are, who are playing a, a playoff game as we're recording this, uh, yeah. Sean Watson, Patrick Mahomes, they're finishing up their third years. They're, they're going to get big extensions uh, most likely after this season. That, that's, you become eligible for that extension after your third year. And Baker Mayfield certainly wants to put himself in that position. The Browns will have to make a decision on that fifth year option, which I mean, it would be almost unprecedented for them to not want to pick it up. But again, a lot of things happen after year three. And so you want to feel really good about your quarterback um, after year three. So, so this is an absolutely huge year uh, for Baker Mayfield. Um, I I do want to get to this question before we go, we've been going here for a little while, but uh, we, we haven't talked about any of the other, other candidates. And, and Mary Kay, I know you have reported on this. So I'm going to throw this out there from the 216 area code. Uh, Robert Sala seemed like a real candidate for this job, uh, even as that game yesterday between the two was going on. Um, how, how close do you think the Browns actually came to, to making that move, Mary Kay? Well, I'm glad you brought up other candidates because I think we should talk real quick about Robert Sala. And we should also mention Josh McDaniels because I know a lot of fans really wanted Josh McDaniels. But let's start with Robert Sala uh, and and address the fact that uh, I think it did come down to – well, I know that it did come down to those two guys. Those were the two finalists for this job. They really liked Robert. They saw a lot in him. They liked his uh, fiery leadership, his aggressive nature. We saw his what his defense did actually to Kevin Stefanski's offense yesterday in the NFC divisional game. Uh, But I really do think that when they put those two guys head to head, it came down to the fact that Kevin Stefanski is an offensive coach uh, and that he has what it takes to turn Baker Mayfield around. Now, could could have Robert Sala have done the same? I think he could have because he probably would have brought in some of the guys from Kyle Shanahan's staff. However, They're young guys that have not been coordinators before. They haven't called plays before. And I think maybe the the Browns were a little bit uncomfortable with that part of it. He probably would have had to been able to demonstrate that he could have brought in a really, really good, experienced play caller. And maybe maybe that wasn't part of the deal. So, uh, you know, they really liked him. I think he will go on to be a successful head coach. He'll probably end up getting a job next year. But... Uh, We'll have to see. This will be something to watch over the next 10 years, how the careers of Stefanski and Sala play out. As far as Josh McDaniels is concerned, throughout the entire process, I was very skeptical about whether or not he was going to be a front runner, be a finalist and get the job. Why is that? Because they didn't even interview him last year. And Paul DePodesta was running the search this year. It just it just didn't seem like a fit. You know, I just felt that there were, was, you know, not a consensus in the building on whether or not he was going to be the right fit for this team. And I never felt that he represented alignment on this football team. What represented alignment was somebody that could work under Paul DePodesta. If Josh McDaniels was going to come in, he was going to need to wipe out the building or wipe out the, you know, the personnel staff and install it with his own people. And they were not prepared to let that happen. They didn't even put in a request to talk to his, the guy that he would have wanted in Dave Ziegler, his John Carroll teammate. So for all the people that really wanted Josh McDaniels, it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to work with the setup the way that it is. Yeah. It always, it always felt kind of funny with, with the way this Josh McDaniels thing was going. And, you know, of course, Friday uh, staking out the, uh, the facility in Berea as he, as he came and went, um, it, it just always, felt uh it always felt a little strange how uh how that was playing out with mcdaniels ellis you were going to say something before i interrupted you no no just real short it, it, it's an interesting what if you know Sala was obviously extremely impressive yesterday coaching against the vikings at that 49ers defense is really impressive um I, I saw a good tweet when you know all that buzz was going around and that maybe he'd be the guy for the browns uh i, I can't i don't remember who to attribute it to but uh, it was something I'm saying, you know, if Sala comes to Cleveland, is he bringing the seven first round defensive linemen with them on that Niners front? You know, just so things like that, you know, you're, you're as a coach, you are a product of your talent. But the guy is incredibly uh, clearly knows how to call a game, puts his guys in great situations and just disrupts offenses. Uh, so it, it would have been interesting. And as Mary Kay said, that guy is going to have a, a bright future in the league for years to come and will likely be a head coach soon. As for McDaniels. 
it would have been fascinating and you know you, you get this patriot way if you will coming into cleveland and the, the hometown kid and all those great storylines but at the end of the day i think the stefanski hire made the most sense within the building scheme wise and you know you're getting an up-and-coming coordinator so again interesting what ifs but Stefanski's the guy for a reason i believe Okay. Uh, well, we've gone uh, a little under an hour here on this uh, emergency edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, the hiring of Kevin Stefanski. Uh, he will be the next Browns head coach. It'll be official here uh, in the coming days, and hopefully we'll get a chance to uh, to meet him as well in a, in a press conference here uh, at some point this week. And of course, we will cover all of that at cleveland.com slash brown so mary Kay and ellis this is your last chance if we didn't get to anything uh, is there anything we missed mary Kay, did, did we leave anything out there no i don't think so i i think we pretty much covered everything <laughs> and uh let's just hope that uh for the sake of this city this team and these fans that they got it right this time and that kevin stefanski will fulfill his contract and not be gone in two years or less <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I don't think we want to have a coaching search for a while, Ellis. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna have a lot more to say as the week goes on in the presser. Um, I'm good. Just you know, Pat Mahomes is throwing I think his 25th touchdown of this game as this podcast is gone. <laughs> so uh, just another wild weekend in the NFL, right? Yeah, here's uh, here's hoping for all of us that uh, next year we're not covering a coaching search. We're covering games in January. Uh, so that'll do it for this edition of the uh, the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Again, check out Football Insider. Go to cleveland.com slash browns. Click on the banner up there. It's $3.99 a month, but you can get a free trial as well. And we are just going to cover the heck out of this Kevin Stefanski hire and, uh, of course, the GM hire. Uh, when that comes as well. And I'm sure we're probably going to huddle up at some point later in the week and, uh, and give you guys all uh, another podcast. So for Mary Kay and Ellis, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.